Hello, welcome to the podcast program In Community and Company, presenting inspiring conversations about how communities galvanize. The podcast is produced by the Department of Community Engagement at Point Park University, and I'm your host, Eric Sloss. I'm here today with Justin Frizzano, Executive Director of Open Field. Open Field is a nonprofit organization based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with a mission to improve the lives and futures of youth through sports. Open Field was founded by Justin. And, and in early 2010, the, uh, Justin embarked on a mission to fill the void in social infrastructure by implementing sports for good programs. Uh, Justin, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Eric. Thanks for having me. So tell us how you came into using sports in communities. So it really started way back when I was an undergrad at the University of Dayton, and I had the opportunity to travel to Cameroon with a program like Engineers Without Borders. So it was all about... Um, finding appropriate local solutions and local technologies for challenges that, you know, people in low-resource neighborhoods, especially in rural areas um, of the developing world. And so um, so spending three summers going back and forth to Cameroon, I got to see how important soccer is in, you know, in the global community, right, at a high level as like the world's game, but also at a very local level. Um, the third summer I was there, I spent almost 10 weeks in a village and, you know, no access, uh, no running water, no access by road, no electricity, um, no health center, no high school, but a really nice soccer field. And every day, like the entire community would come out and come around and, and, and watch, you know, young people play the game. So it was, it was obvious to me how important the game was uh, to people. And that's kind of when I first became exposed to this whole like sport for good sector. So it was not only it well it was driven by the idea of soccer, right, and how soccer galvanizes the community and brings people together. What was that experience like for you? I mean, did you did you watch games? I mean, was there a lot of camaraderie? I would assume. How did that play out? D- yeah. So so the way I kind of like to describe it is we were there working to build a water system, you know, right alongside members of the community, and so every morning was construction, and every afternoon was soccer. And so we, you know, every afternoon, 4 p.m., like, like I said, almost the entire village would come out. All the young people would, um, we'd separate into two different teams and we'd play for two hours. And so, you know, I grew up playing soccer, so it was always an important part of my life. And so, you know, it's the experience of playing, but then also seeing, like I took over a set of jer- donated jerseys, like old high school jerseys, you know, like 10 years old. And I gave them to, you know, the guys in this community, as well as cleats that people had donated from, from my hometown of Wheeling, West Virginia. And it, I was amazed to see how much people cherish cherish those items. They do they do explain that soccer is the world sport. I like Franklin Foer's book, How Soccer Ex- Explains the World. He wrote, as a soccer fan, I understood exactly what he meant. It wasn't the ways in which the Internet and satellites had made the world of soccer so much smaller and more accessible. You could see globalization on the pitch. During the 90s, Basque teams under stewardship of Welsh coaches stocked up on Dutch and Turkish players. Uh, Everywhere you looked, it suddenly seemed that national borders and national identities had been swept into the dustbin of soccer history. So you witnessed this. In in many ways, you you were a catalyst to sweep these borders away. And and how did that transition begin to uh, uh, develop? So, you know, it's funny you mention it because last year in 2019, we, we expanded our programming from Cameroon here to Pittsburgh. And you go on pretty much any soccer field around the city and you will see that. You will see, you know, the world represented right here in Pittsburgh, which can be hard in western Pennsylvania, right? Because a lot of places you go, 
you see a lot of uniformity, if you will, right? And it's right. hard to see, you know, the diverse populations that exist here in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. But um, but you go to any soccer field, and it's it's obvious. You you mm-hmm. hear people speak in all different languages, mm-hmm. and so um, it's been really fun over the last couple of years to be involved in um, you know, in building this, you know. It, let me not, let me not say building. Let me say enhancing and creating even more space for you know the international community and the city to come together around the game. How do you build social capital? How do you build community? Uh, how do you build those networks in a foreign country? How did you even begin to put those pieces together? It really is through is through finding people you can trust because you know I I spend the majority of my time here in the U.S. in Pittsburgh and I have a team of eight full time staff all local Cameroonian and. We have nine community leaders now that are involved as part-time staff. And so um, so they build it. You know, they, I rely heavily on them, on their knowledge. And I've learned a lot just in working with them. Um, you know, African society and culture is very different than American. So I've had to adapt and, you know, and be flexible. Oh, my gosh. It's almost the complete opposite. So, you know, we're a very, just for example, we're a very, so everything is, so people are so much more connected, like on all on so many, in so many different ways, whereas here we just want to do everything on our own. So how right. to adapt and how do you lead an organization when that when that one sort of mm-hmm. obvious like when we talk about you know building community and right. like that's inherent in everything almost that people do. Whereas here in the U.S. is very different. What about trust? You know, I guess you had this relationship with Dayton where where there is some history there, um, so they knew your name as a student, but um, the trust thing has to be a, a, a big challenge. It certainly is, um, and I think that, I think that you know, it's about being open, right? So you know, that's one thing that I was really kind of surprised when I would hear the first couple of years I would travel over there. People always kind of commented on how open I was and sort of how willing I was, uh, willing I was to to be flexible, to be adaptable, to be you know, open to learning new things about a different culture. And so me going in there and sort of having that openness, openness allowed me to build these relationships with different people. And that sort of has, you know, and then so the trust is, is built upon that. So when you're in those moments, when you're learning about the culture, can you describe any of those moments of discomfort or moments of, wait, this is out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to have to try this anyway? Or Certainly. So it's one, I mean, so, you know, traveling to, you know, especially Cameroon and even more, you know, more rural areas is like, there's not a lot of expats. So there's not a lot of internationals. So it's, you know, so as a white guy, you know, I'm white Mm -hmm. for all the listeners (laughs) and I'm in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa. So I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. Right. So, you know, I, you know, I, for the first time got to understand what it's like to be a minority because growing Mm -hmm. up in the U.S. and, you know, growing up in this region, you know, I'm part of the majority. Mm -hmm. So, um, so just that, you know, just based on like my physical appearance, right. um, is, is, you know, and always knowing and being, you know, sort of looked at and stared at and always mm-hmm. feeling like an outsider. Mm-hmm. That is when I really kind of became aware of, of, you know, how, how, m- how others might feel. Right. Um, and, and, and just, I mean, I, I got to give credit to, you know, the people that I've been fortunate to interact with over the years. And I think it really speaks to, um, this cultural dynamic that is, um, maybe not unique, but that is um, a, a critical part of, of culture, of society in sub-Saharan and in West Africa is the sense of community. So, you know, despite the fact that I, it was, I was obviously a stranger, people made me feel so welcome, right? So whether it was, you know, getting in a pickup game or being invited to someone's house, you know, to share a meal or going out afterwards to share a drink at the local, you know, pub, all of those things, like people were very intentional about making me feel welcome, mm-hmm 
which I, you know, which has translated into, you know, more than a decade of working in the country now. Right. I'm, I'm curious how that influences your working style or how you relate to others in the U.S. It's impacted me a lot. Mm-hmm. Like the first one is like in my language and the way I speak. Mm-hmm. I like I've adapted the way I talk, <laughs> you know, to to mm-hmm. to be able to communicate effectively in Cameroon. And I know I, it's changed the way I talk now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people always ask me like, "What's wh- where are you from? What's your what's with your funny accent?" You know, right. it's like West Africa mixed with West Virginia. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think uh, sure the way I talk, but also just um, you know, I now that we're working here in Pittsburgh and we work with a lot of. Um, of immigrants from you know central and east africa and so like the what i learned in cameroon about how to grow an organization and how to connect with um all different stakeholders in a community i'm applying here in pittsburgh Mm. right right in in building the relationships Mm -hmm. and in in being flexible and and understanding that like we're not doing an online registration for our programs Mm -hmm. right sometimes we're going door to door right with community members who are speaking in swahili to connect with the parents that might not speak english so that's not that's me having to just kind of sit back and let others lead which you know which is part of what i learned right just kind of following this topic about your experience in cameroon which you still have a relationship which you still go back to um you know what are the vulnerabilities or assumptions that you made going into Cameroon, and then what were, the, were did you have any assumptions, and were they discredited or or were they reaffirmed? That's a great question. So I'm really I don't know whether it's you know a good thing or a bad thing. I really went in. I didn't really go in with too many assumptions actually. So um you know I really kind of went in sort of like an open canvas or an open book, really kind of open to learn. Um, so I I think that. You know, but when I think about sort of what I've learned, like what I've learned and how I've had to adapt and change over the years as a result of working in a very, you know, in a very different um, culture and as a minority and as someone who, you know, within a community where there is like, you know, the colonial past and there's, um, you know, race is always a part of it. Like I can't deny like I mm-hmm. am the white man. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when mm-hmm. I communicate with my staff, like no matter even though a lot of them are older than right. me. Like they still sort of there's this like like this deference that comes. Right. It's not always there, right? Because yeah. I've really worked to build like an equal platform where right. we all kind of see each other as peers. But I am the boss at the end of the day, you know. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, it's it's an interesting dynamic, and so I've learned a lot about listening, mm-hmm. listening, right, and and taking responsibility when things don't go right. Like I feel like those are the two things that that come to mind right now that yeah. I have learned. Right. Um, that I think are really important. Yeah, and 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 one could argue, <laughs> in, in in our current kind of national framework in the United States, that no one's to blame. You know, nobody's really taking blame for, for the problems in our world. And I think that's maybe culturally that's something that's that's quite different in other. Countries. It's like always this idea of like mm-hmm. passing the buck, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and that's that's something else too, though. That like you know, what I've what I've noticed is you know, sometimes in like Americans we can be very confrontational. And so we have a problem, we'll bring it up, right? And we want to just like address it and go head on. And what I've noticed in Cameroon and in a lot of other cultures is like, that's not the way it's done, right? There are other ways to kind of, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's like beat around the bush or we don't want to talk about it. And so like, there's, you know, there's benefits Mm -hmm. to both approaches Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, finding somewhere to kind of meet in the middle, I think is where it's probably the the best way. Right. So programmatically, why don't you talk about um, how did you build the programs, not only here in Pittsburgh, but in Cameroon? What do they look like? And as I understand, they're built around leadership skills and youth, right? They they really are. And so, you know, our our approach or our model is really centered in youth, and it's really informed by youth. 
So, um, you know, we started out running, so we started out running after school programs where we would, you know, bring kids together uh, during out of school time. We would, you know, spend 30 minutes talking about a topic, whether it was a health topic or a social topic. Um, and then we would play. And so over time that, that evolved and grew into more like a community-based league where we worked with existing soccer clubs or academies as they're called in Cameroon, with his, which is just any guy, you know, with a ball, with a couple soccer balls, bringing 10, 20 kids around in his neighborhood. Um, over time, what we found is those leaders, the coaches or the directors of those quote unquote academies didn't have the same values as us, right? They were, they were really out for profit or they were really out to, like you know, in what way? What do you mean profit? Like build the skills of a player to sell? Exactly. Wow. That's exactly. And so when we first started, that's what everybody, that's the, those are the questions that we got. And that's what people expected from us. And so what we did was, you know, there was a point in time when we stopped our programming for a couple months and we just invited a lot of the kids that were in our programs into our office to give us feedback on what they wanted to see and how they wanted the programs to look. And that was in 2017. And so... Actually, no, let me say, yeah, early, early 2017. And so 2017 and 2018, we spent building up this model that was uh, in response to what the youth wanted. And so what that was, it was it was a competition. It was some more competitions. Um, we ended up doing five more or, games. More games and more competition, like, mm-hmm. like a league. Like, mm-hmm. So more leagues, more tournaments. Um, we ended up doing five-on-five or seven-on-seven small-sided games because transportation was a barrier. So we want to be able to do it right in the neighborhood so kids can walk to the field so their parents feel more comfortable when they go out. Um, you know, they don't have to worry about walking a really far distance or having money for transport. So we do it in the neighborhood. Um, and then what we also said is let's, you know, if, if the adults, some of the adults in you know, football don't have the same uh, values as us, let's go to the kids. And so now, we, now we're training kids to be coaches, kids to be referees, Kids elect their peers to be on a youth council. Uh, they do community service projects. So, so they're gaining these leadership skills, you know, building their portfolio, if you will, in the, in, in the soccer world, while at the same time, you know, giving back, having fun, playing. How, so, do, you, how do you define the, the metrics or the, what are, what are, what's the rubrics of the leadership skills for which? Because, you know, I played soccer, um, you know, my whole life, and, and I – I can glean some leadership skills from other coaches or some skills or lessons if, 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 if I thought hard enough, right? But I guess I'm wondering like how from a nonprofit organization and, and uh, being committed to maybe a funder, how are you collecting the matrix of saying, hey, this person has, I don't know, good, uh, good speaking skill, you know, all the matrix of leader, leadership. Right. No, it's a great question. It's something that, you know, in the whole sport for development or sport for social impact world, these are the questions that we've been, you know, asked and I've been working to respond to over the last couple of years. Um, we really focus on a lot of it's self-reporting. So we want to know, you know, how kids are increasing, you know, increasing their confidence in their skills, whether it's communication, whether it's decision making, whether it's around like conflict resolution. Um, you know, do they see themselves as a leader, as a role model? Um, do they see themselves making an impact in their community, like whether it's through, you know, the actual mm-hmm. running the soccer sessions or whether it's doing community service projects? And then how does that connect to, uh, you know, to school and to, you know, outside of school, too? I see. I see. So it's qualitative in many ways where it's you're 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 doing this interviewing process. You're trying to understand what they've learned, plus their their progression within the, the organization. OK. And so like. 
I guess it's reciprocal in the sense that the coaches are learning from the players. And how does that relationship happen in terms of like what they're gleaning from from the players? No, definitely. It's a great um it's a great question. So this um this summer we actually had a cohort in Pittsburgh where we had a group of high school high school kids, teenagers from one neighborhood. They went through a three day training uh with our staff and with some other leaders around the community and then they were responsible for running the program for about sixty other kids in their neighborhood. And so, um, I mean, it, it was interesting to see their response and see what they learned, you know, from from that experience. Um, most of it was like kind of like, you know, like, like just self-realization about certain skills or abilities that they had that they didn't know they had. And mm-hmm. um, also, I mean, I, I remember one of the leaders just um, f- had a great experience and kind of realized like, oh, wow, I am a leader. Like people do look up to me. Um, I have the ability to to you know lead a group of of kids from my neighborhood. Mm, that's powerful. So find yeah finding right. skills you know and power right. they never had before. Right, right. Um, so we're, we were talking about Cameroon and Cameroon is really a country in crisis. The Council of Foreign Relations said longstanding tensions between the center and periphery have morphed into brutal conflicts with government forces confronting Boko Haram in the north, Anglophone separatists in the west. Over 180,000 people have been displaced. How do you even begin to navigate the political uh, turmoil of, of your work in, in, in Cameroon? It's, it's been a big challenge for us. You know, I can remember the first time that, you know, the, that the Internet was cut out. And so for almost two months, there was no Internet. Um, so, you know, you can imagine mm-hmm. communications with right. my team was, was very challenging. Schools have been pretty much shut down. So some kids haven't been in school, haven't been in a classroom consistently for almost three years. So, you know, it, it's hard for me to even explain, but I don't know. But for some reason, like our programming is thriving, you know, and, 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 it, and, it's, and it's because maybe it speaks to like the power of football, of soccer mm-hmm. in this culture. Um, it speaks to the power of grassroots, of, of commu- like community led um, development. Because, you know, it's all locally led. Like, it's not really safe for me to travel there. So I'm here. Uh, you know, my full, full-time staff of all locals are there running the programs. Um, you know, th- there's been a couple weeks when it's not safe to go out. And so we shut down the office. But literally 90% of the time, you know, three days a week, we're in the field. You know, our coaches, our, our leaders, our youth are in the field. And, you know, and parents are getting more involved than ever before, right, when there's, when there's not a lot of other things going right. on and it's hard for people to travel, right. you know, to go from city to town. Mm-hmm. So, um, so people don't have a lot to do. Right. So they're, they're leaning on us and we're, being, we're able to, mm-hmm. fortunately, we're able to provide that service. That's awesome. Could you quantify some of your uh, or, or just talk about some of your success? So, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, this year, this Last year, in 2019, we, we were, you know, in response to the crisis in the country, we were awarded a grant from United Nations Development Program. So we were one of uh, the only organizations working in the two regions where the conflict has been going on, uh, the only organization doing sport for development. So um, I think one of less than 20 groups, you know, were awarded mm-hmm. support and have become part of this cohort. So working directly with UN, UNDP Cameroon. Um, and we've had support, you know, consistent support from FIFA over the years. So, you know, we've, we're getting, you know, support from international organizations, which I think speaks to, speaks to our effectiveness um, on the ground. Uh, we've had one of our youth come over to the U.S. and is playing, playing collegiate soccer now in his second year. That's great. 
Um, and it speaks to, you know, the potential or the power of, you know, of, of, P, of a network. So people always ask, like, what's the, what's the big impact? And I think about, um, like, we're building a network of people, um, of adults, you know, of teenagers, of people far ahead mm-hmm. in their careers. That's and of, capital. Of influence. Yeah. It is. It really is social capital mm-hmm. such that, you know, kids, I mean, David is the young man that, that's here in the U.S. now. David was going to drop out of school, you know, eight or nine years ago because he wanted to be a footballer. He wanted to go to one of those academies that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Right. And because of one of our staff and one of our mentors, like they made it such that like he wanted to stay involved in our program. We could spend uh, probably all hour just talking about the complexities of international soccer and how they're recruited. I mean, in basic sense, right, These some of these folks who go into academy, they're sold, maybe sold to a particular country. Uh, the, they don't know the language. They spend maybe a year there, and then they're just kicked to the streets, and they don't know how to get around, essentially, is sometimes what happens, and probably happens more often than we probably know about. Um, so that's versus what David did, which was go through your particular nonprofit, have learn these core leadership skills and then find his way to a college in America. So that's, it's interesting in terms of those two paths one could take. Definitely. And I think it's, it's really important to acknowledge there's a lot of organizations like ours around the world and, and even, you know, across Africa that are, that are using, you know, I think I saw one group called fair trade football. Right. Where they're, you know, ethically, you know, creating opportunities for youth to play professional Mm -hmm. soccer, either in the in the nation where they're where they're born or abroad. But they're doing it in a way where they're not compromising, you know, the the, the life of the the child. Right. Like literally the kid's life. Right. Which is happening, which can happen, which has happened and is happening in other you know countries and contexts. Yeah, for sure. So now, like you mentioned, there's other groups doing this. And what is the scale of it? Because I mean, just think about like, um, you know, I'm a registered U.S. coach here in the States. Um, you know, there are always leadership programs that I have to go through that I have to express to my team. Um, but I'm just wondering, what's the scale of it? I think FIFA's a behemoth of money and <laughs> programming. Uh, you know, each of the clubs all around the world have types of leadership, or maybe not necessarily leadership, but can you translate the scale of some of this stuff? So, I mean, right, we're talking about, I mean, there's millions of kids that are, that are involved in these kind of programs that are, you know, that we call that like sport plus, if you will, right? It's not just about the development of the sport, but it's about the development of the whole child or the right. whole person. Right. So, um, I mean, there's two groups or initiatives that come to mind. One is street football world. So street football world is just specifically soccer. And I think I want to say there's 137 organizations in 80 plus different countries mm. around the world yeah. with millions of kids involved wow. in this programming. And, you know, in, in, in connection to or, you know, an initiative of Street Football World is, is this thing called Common Goal, where, you know, Common Goal has, I think, over 150 professional players, athletes, coaches, you know, managers um, or clubs and clubs that have committed to uh, donating 1% of their salary or 1% of their ticket sales um, to, to this, these, these kind of initiatives. Mm. So, right. you know, Common Goal is all about – so Juan Mata is one of the um, – one of, what was one of the lead like spokesmodels mm-hmm. of the initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, several members of the women's national team mm-hmm. also signed on. Um, so, you know, it's 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 interesting to see the connection, as you mentioned, between like the the behemoth that is global football mm-hmm. or soccer right. and and all these grassroots efforts that are happening all around the world. Field and can they volunteer, donate? Um, 
Certainly. So, I mean, you know, one way is, you know, to follow us and get engaged on social media. So we're at, at Openfield, I-N-T-L, Openfield International. Um, that's, you know, our website too, openfieldintl.org. So um, definitely connect, connect with us there. You know, if you are local in Pittsburgh, um, we have opportunities to volunteer as a coach mentor, or you can volunteer at one of our events. You can attend one of our events. We do a big uh, soccer tournament every summer called Play for Purpose. So we last year we uh, we had eight teams, over 100 young adults from around the city, helped cool. us raise twenty thousand dollars, twenty five thousand dollars, excuse me, to support awesome. our mission. So this year we're looking to you know expand that. So that'll be coming up in August. We have our Taste of Africa every uh, every fall. It's going to be in November in Pittsburgh. And of course, anyone you know, we're a 501c3, you know, U.S. based nonprofit. So anyone can donate tax deductible donation. What about gear? Right. I mean, do you have how much gear have you don uh, delivered or? So we've shipped, you know, thousands of pieces of gear over to Cameroon, tens of thousands over the years. Um, We are actually right now. So in February, up uh, in March, up through March fifteenth, we're doing a, a gear drive here in Pittsburgh. So you know, anyone who's local that wants to donate soccer equipment, we're collecting jerseys, balls, and cleats. So, Where? Where um, can they? So you can go to Pisa. You can go to Piper's Pub. There's a couple other soccer facilities. You know, we're cool. working out the details yeah. around the city. We also got a storage unit that's in Wilkinsburg where people can drop things off by appointment. If you, you know, if you go on our website, openfieldintl.org backslash equipment, you can find out all the details awesome. about that. Well, Justin, you're making a, such an impact not only the Pittsburgh community but in Cameroon, um, and it's just going to continue to grow. Thank you so much for sharing this important work with us. In Community and Company is produced by the Department of Community Engagement at Point Park University. I'd like to thank the executive producer, Dr. Star Fiedler, studio engineer, Tyler Polk. In Community and Company is produced in front of a live studio audience at the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University. It's a live studio audience. Right. Okay. (laughs) That's funny.